Welcome to everyone who is worshiping with us at one of our campuses at South Mountain and Mesa at Fountain Hills, at one of our chapel services, and then I want to say welcome to everybody who is with us online. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, we're in a series called All In, and the last couple of weeks, we really talked about how you can go all in, in your faith, and as a disciple, and at your church, and today I want to focus more on how you can help others to go all in. And so this message is how to share your faith in Jesus the beauty of bringing good news. And sharing your faith, it can be intimidating, can it? Maybe you've gotten into some situations where someone asked you a difficult question about your beliefs and you didn't really know what to say. Or, or maybe you've been at a party, right? And like a Christian brought up faith in a weird way and the room got really awkward and, and, and weird and you just kind of filed it away as like, ooh, I don't want to ruin a perfectly good party. Don't be that person. Or maybe you came to church today and you've got some stuff in your life that's just kind of messy and you don't feel qualified to represent Jesus. So you don't really know how to think about that. So I think this message will help you. I believe it's important and is going to equip you to follow Jesus and help other people do the same. So we're going to go first to Romans chapter 10. And I want to invite you to read along this passage with me. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? That's a really good question. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's an even better question. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Okay, so here's what we know. God wants people to be saved. Amen. He really cares about that. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But before they can be saved, they have to call on the name of Jesus. And in order to do that, they have to believe in Jesus. And before they can believe in Jesus, someone has to tell them about Jesus. And before someone's going to come tell them, they have to be sent. And so that's why we're talking about this today, to equip you and prepare you so you can be sent out into the world and preach good news. I want to equip you to do that today so that you too can have beautiful feet. Doesn't that sound good? I know there's some of you, you're like, ew, feet are gross. Just don't. You know, we all have them. Like, they're not gross. It's not like your best body part, but it's not, it's not gross. And, and then like, I don't want to hear about your foot fetishes either. Like, save it. This isn't talking about literal feet, but it's a, a metaphor, it's communicating the idea that if you are in trouble, there is nothing more beautiful than the sight of someone coming to your rescue. If you're trapped in a dark pit with no hope of escape, there is nothing more beautiful than the light from a rescue worker's headlamp shining through that darkness. If you're fighting in a battle and losing, there's nothing more beautiful than the cavalry coming over the hilltop to reinforce you. And if you're about to die and spend eternity separated from God in hell... There's nothing more beautiful than a believer coming with a message of good news that can save your soul. So what we're going to do is in this next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to pre prepare you and equip you so that you can do that and, and be that for someone else. Uh, help people get saved. So we're going to do that. First, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You need to understand how God keeps score. 
how God keeps score. The NFL playoffs are still going on. Oh, we're not really in it the way we hoped we would be. Don't really want to talk about it. It's too soon. But you've seen football games. You know what tends to happen. Uh, The offense goes out on the field. Quarterback calls a play. Uh, He'll drop back to throw the pass. He'll release a perfect spiral. And then sometimes, even though he did everything right, the ball will just sail through the fingers of a receiver. And, And imagine if the quarterback throws an incomplete pass and he just collapses to the ground. Oh, man. Oh, I knew it. I do not have the physical gifts for this, and I'm not cut out for this, and they never should have put me in the game. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Send in the next guy. I quit. Like, we'd all be like, no, 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 Kyler, it's okay. You, you did everything right, bro. You threw that pass. You delivered it right on time. The receiver just dropped the ball. And and so you don't need to be discouraged. That's just part of the game. Not every play is going to result in a touchdown. And not every attempt at sharing Jesus is going to result in someone giving their life to him. But a lot of Christians have had this kind of experience where you tried to share Jesus kind of one time and it didn't really go that well and you didn't know what to say and you felt awkward. And so you just threw your hands up like, oh man, I am not cut out for this. That did not feel good. I did not like that. I must not have that spiritual gift. I give up. It's like, no, not every swing is going to result in a home run. Sometimes you go up, you give it your best shot, you can deliver the good news, but it is up to them to receive it. And nobody is expecting you to score on every play. So understand it this way, your win is helping people move closer to Jesus. All right, like some people, they start out and they are just far from God. Do any of you remember a time in your life where you were far from God? Like some people are real far. They're hard-hearted. They mock God. They don't like Christians. Like maybe some people came to church like that today. You're like, I hate this church. My wife made me come here. Stupid songs and stupid pastor talking to me. Like when is this going to be over? Like maybe far from God, this guy, right? But then there are other people they are kind of closer. They're closer to South. They're a little bit more open. They're asking questions. They're wrestling with difficult realities of life, and they're wondering about the thing. And then there are some people, they're like real close, you know? Like, like some people, they are close. Like Jesus said to one guy in Mark 12, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You know, there are some people who are really close to salvation, and all it would take is just a stiff breeze and one willing believer and they would just gladly receive Jesus. And so your goal is, I mean, not every person is just going to result in a conversion as soon as you tell them the good news. Like sometimes you're going you're gonna to present Jesus and it's going to move someone a couple steps closer. And then someone else is going to talk about Jesus. It's going to move them a little closer. And some other Christian is going to act out in love and show grace and kindness. And it's going to move them a little closer. And then they're going to see some crazy street preacher with a mega horn. And they're going to move them back a little bit, right? (laughs) You're not going to score on every play. The goal is to move them closer to Jesus. And it's a team effort. It's not just one man show. None of us are equipped with all the gifts we need to build the kingdom of God and bring in the harvest. It's a team effort. We see an example of this in scripture like in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, where the apostle Paul writes this. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? 
We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And I like in verse 10, it says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. You see, it's a team effort. Right? We're, we're in this together, and we all have a part to play. So you might want to take note of this. You can win at witnessing without being the one to score. Sometimes you'll plant the seed. Sometimes you'll water the seed that someone else planted. You might lay a foundation, but then someone else is going to come along and build on it. It's a team effort. And you can do your part and be faithful without necessarily being the one to take that person across the line. So it plays out like this. I see this thing play out all the time. Lost Larry. He's not really close to God at all. But someone, you know, maybe, maybe you, invites him to come to church with you next week. And he kind of just laughs it off. Says, no thanks. Uh, that's not really my thing. And he goes home and you kind of think, well, I tried but it didn't work. Uh, but you don't know this. Uh, lost Larry, he went home and he started thinking about God for the first time in years. And then next week, like you never knew this was going to happen, but next week, uh, Larry had to drive to work behind someone with a Generation Church car decal. And, and the person was not a great driver. But that's okay. It just demonstrates God's amazing grace. And the whole way to work, like Larry couldn't help but shake it. He's just thinking like, man, isn't that the church that dude was inviting me to? Like, is this one of those, like, signs? And then Larry goes to a family gathering, and Cousin Billy shows up, and Billy's talking about how, how he found God and how it's changed his life, and the other family members are kind of teasing him, like, oh, Billy got religion. Uh, but, but Larry's sitting there, and he's thinking to himself internally, he's thinking, oh, Billy has something that I don't have. And I don't really understand exactly what it is, but I want it. And then, you know, the next week he goes back to work, and uh, Generation Jenny happens to come through. And... <laughs> She invites him to church again. And although last time he said no, much to her surprise, this time he says yes. And he comes into church that day and his chest cavity is already open wide for heart surgery. And it doesn't take much. He is ready to accept Jesus as Lord. And it's not because the, the best sermon was preached, but because a whole bunch of believers were being faithful to share the good news rather than live as undercover Christians. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollo swatted it, but it was God who made it grow. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, God made it grow. And I want to point that out to you, that, that we will share faith in Jesus sometimes, and then other times we'll choose to hold back because we make heart judgments about people based on outward appearance. Like sometimes, you know, you'll look at someone and you'll think, oh, that guy would never accept Jesus. 
you know, he's just kind of mean and he's hard and he makes fun of me in the break room for being a Christian. Like, no, 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 no. That's not the person I should tell about Jesus. But you don't know what's actually going on in that person's heart. Remember, your job is to plant the seed. It's God's job to make it grow. And he is able to soften up soil that you can never break through. He is able to make seeds grow. You would never believe. You don't know what seeds he's going to make grow. Uh, You never know. And so you're responsible to to do your part. And I want to emphasize this to you. If you do your part, God will do his part. God is never the one who drops the ball. God will do his part. So give him a chance to do what only he can do. The Holy Spirit cannot grow seeds that you refuse to plant. And speaking of your part, right, some of you might be praying fervently that God would answer your prayers and send someone to witness to your prodigal child. But when's the last time you stepped out to answer some other mom's prayer? Is it possible that if you leaned into what God cares about, that he might make some moves to take care of the lost people you care about? I want to correct one common misperception Uh, based on a phrase I hear sometimes, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. This is wrong. It's false. This is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He never said that. Some people will use this sentiment, though, as an excuse to remain an undercover Christian. And they'll think to themselves, see, I don't have to expose myself as a Christian and have tough conversations. I'll just be a nice person. And that'll be good enough. I can just be nice and that way I can just get along with everyone like Jesus did. That's a joke. He did not (laughs) get along with everyone. Remember in Romans 10, it says, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them, right? Not shows them, but tells them. For them to believe, you have to tell them. In Mark 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, right? So he didn't say, hey, it's good enough to just go to church a couple times a month. He didn't say, you know, go into all the world and be super nice. He said, you've got to preach the gospel to people. So let me help you understand what that means. To preach is to publicly proclaim, to publicly proclaim. It's out loud with words in a way people can hear it. And then here's what we're preaching. We're preaching the gospel, which is good news. That's what it means, good news. And some of you have been asking yourselves the wrong questions. You've been asking yourselves, you know, like, who am I to tell other people what to believe? And you should be asking, who am I to keep the good news to myself? I've got to tell other people, but you won't share the good news if you don't actually believe it's good. I want to make sure you understand it. Let me give you a little highlight of the gospel, right? And I think it's helpful to just think of it as like a narrative, of a, as a story. You know, a lot of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's an awesome movie. You know, if you asked me, like, what's that movie about? I would tell you. Okay, it's pretty basic. Uh, I haven't seen it for a long time, but there's a lost Private Ryan who needs to be found, and a bunch of army dudes go and look for him, and it's like really hard, and there's a lot of shooting, like bang, bang, ah, and then they find Ryan, and they bring him home. 
It's not that complicated. I didn't have to memorize the whole script, but I remember the gist of the story. And you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be able to give the highlights of the gospel. Okay, so what are the highlights? Uh, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. We are born with a sinful nature. All of us have sinned. Okay, we are slaves to sin, therefore. Like, because we sin, we are living in slavery. I know you might live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, but because we're sinners, we are enslaved. Our sin separates us from God. You know how sometimes you meet someone like, man, I just feel like so far from God. It's because you are far from God until you accept Jesus. And the wages of sin is death. Not only that, but we all die. And if you die in a state of sin separated from God, you'll spend eternity separated from God in a terrible place called hell. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus, God's son, came and lived the perfect life that we could never live. He went to the cross and he died a criminal's death to pay the price for my sins and brother, your sins. And he's not just a martyr who died for you, but he rose to life again. And he gives us that same victory when we believe in him. And now we are no longer considered sinners by God because we're saved by God's grace. And grace, my, that's a great thing. It's like a gift. You don't deserve it and you can't actually earn it. It's just a gift you receive. And now we have freedom from sin. And now our relationship to God has been restored through Jesus. He's not just some far off God, but we can be close to him in relationship. He's our father through Jesus. We're part of his family. Now rather than death, we receive eternal life. And rather than having to fear hell, we can look forward to heaven. Like, I don't have to explain everything. And you don't even have to explain all of this, but just give them the highlights. It's so clearly good news. But let me just emphasize one piece. You want to make sure that when you talk about Jesus, you give him the most important part. It's not that he did good things. That's, that's important, that he helped the poor and he, he healed the sick. the sick. That's important. But the most important part is that he died on the cross for our sins. And that he rose again. That's what separates him from every other religious leader who's ever lived. They're all still in the grave, but Jesus is alive. Amen? This is good news. And when you tell people this, you're planting seeds. You can just sow those seeds. You know, it's it's God's word that you're sowing. It's God's word. It's not just good vibes. It's good news. You've actually got to tell them the gospel. And then you can be one who waters. You can water. And I think watering is really anything that helps a person move closer to Jesus. So, you know, that could be showing love or speaking encouraging words or representing Jesus. You know, a lot of you have influence with someone. Maybe it's family or coworkers or or on social media. Like when you represent that God is important in your life, and he's changed you, and he's blessed you, and that you are close to him. And You can just influence people, and those who respect you will hear that and see that you have something they don't have. And that can be watering the seeds, and then the Holy Spirit can come along and make it grow. Make it grow. we got to tell people in order for them to believe. Don't go straight to telling people how God can help them have a better life until you tell them how God wants to save their life. 
Don't skip the gospel. That's the most important part. And so I want to talk about how we share our faith. I think there are levels to this. And the different levels require increasing amounts of boldness, maybe training. Uh, but we can all do something. And I think we need to know how to witness in different ways because that gives you different tools you can use in different situations. So the first level of sharing your faith is invitation. Invite other people to come and see. You have something too good to keep to yourself, so you need to share it. And everyone can do this. Great and small, uneducated and well-informed, those who are new to faith or mature in faith, you can invite people to come and see. In John chapter 1, Andrew went to find his brother Simon. That's Peter. We know him well. Told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. He didn't have all the answers yet. He didn't really know that much about Jesus yet. But he just knew, this is good. I need to bring my brother to see this. And you have a unique opportunity to do this. Because you happen to go to a church that is set up to be a soul-saving machine. For God's glory, right, this church is being used to reach a lot of people. I said this last week, but the average church in America, according to LifeWay Research, saw less than 10 people saved in the last 12 months. Whereas we saw over 500, okay, that we know of, possibly more, uh, this church is easy to bring lost people to, right? And we are set up to receive people. We want to love them. And we're going to present the gospel to them. So bring people to church. You cross paths with people every day uh, who are lost. And all you have to do is bring them. This is in intentional invitation. Notice that Andrew, he went to find Peter. He was doing this on purpose. I'm going to find him and I'm going to bring him. And I want to encourage you to be intentional about looking for opportunities to invite. One of the ways you can do that really practically is in all of our lobbies, we have a station with invite cards. And we intentionally made them uh, a size you could get them in your wallet. So guys, you could get a couple in your wallet. Ladies, that huge purse, you could get like hundreds in your wallet. <laughs> and just having that on you, you'll feel equipped to invite. Another way you can invite more subtly is, man, you really could put a church uh, sticker on your car. And I know, like, some of you might be like, oh, geez, this pastor's trying to get me to advertise his church. <laughs> but seriously, there are people in this church who got saved because of one of those car decals. They literally stopped someone in a parking lot and was like, excuse me, um, what is that? And it led to a conversation that led to someone accepting Jesus as Lord. And let me talk about the difference between a soft invite versus a hard invite. I don't want you to fall into the trap of these like soft, wishy-washy, apologetic invites. Okay, um, We are a bold church, so we want to be bold in our inviting. So don't, don't be that person who's like, hey, uh, uh, not, not to make you feel pressure, but if you're not doing anything and you've got literally nothing else to do, maybe sometime, like someday, you uh, might want to come to church with me. But no pressure. Right? It's really easy for someone to just like shrug that off and, and be like, yeah, okay, sure, someday, maybe. 
We'll see. You want to give a hard invite that requires a yes or no response. Like, hey, will you come to church with me this Sunday? And then just leave it hanging and make them respond. Uh, John 4.29, Jesus talks to a woman and she goes back to her village and says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She just said, come and see. I don't have all the answers. Just come and see for yourself. If you bring people into God's presence where they're surrounded by God's people and they hear the preaching of God's word, they're not going to be able to help but see for themselves that Jesus has something to offer them. There are people in your life who are one invitation away from salvation. Or maybe they're already saved, but they don't have a home church, so they're just kind of floundering aimlessly through life, and they need to get connected to a church. And you could be the person who just says like, hey, I would love to have you come to church with me. Here's what we could do. I could meet you out front. I could help you get settled in. We can sit by each other so you won't be alone. Uh, And then we can go out to eat afterwards and we can catch up. What do you say? Will you come with me? And so I think even now the Holy Spirit could be putting names on your heart of people who he wants to use you to reach. You're in their lives on purpose. Because God wants to use you to reach them. Here's the next level. It's sharing your testimony. This is telling other people what Jesus has done for you. How many of you can testify? God has been good to me. Okay. A lot of people. God has been good to me. Jesus said this to one man that he saved in Luke chapter 8. He said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And that man, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Notice this guy, he did not go to Bible college first. He didn't read books on philosophy and study other religions. He just went out and started telling people simply, this is what Jesus has done for me. And you can do the same. Like, maybe you've heard some crazy testimonies. I've heard some crazy ones. Like, dude who's orphaned and grows up on the streets selling crack and goes to prison and gets saved and becomes a pastor. And you hear a testimony like that, and you're like, whoa. And I've heard Christians say this. I don't have a testimony. It's like, yes, you do. You do have a testimony because if you're a believer in Jesus, God has saved you. Whether it was a long time ago when you were a child and you've lived a blessed life or man, it was just recently and you lived a rough life, you can talk about how good God has been to you. You're testifying. Here's what testifying is. It's to give evidence as a witness. You are the evidence. It's to make a statement based on personal knowledge or belief. Based on your personal experience with Jesus. You're just testifying to what God has done for you. And I love this because you are a subject matter expert on your story. A lot of you are worried, like, I don't know all the answers to the difficult questions. You don't have to know all the answers. You can just share your story and nobody can argue with your story. And and let me give you a little bit of of extra help here. Uh, One of the ways you can witness starts in church. During our time of praise and worship, you might have noticed that there are some people who are doing this thing, like they're raising their hands. And some of you are new to church and you're like, what's up with that guy? Does he have a question? (laughs) When are they going to call on him? 
There are a few different reasons that we raise our hands in church. Some of them because the Bible tells us to, like in Psalm 134, it says, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. It's biblical. It's not cultural. It's not denominational. It's biblical. Like in Nehemiah chapter 8, they read the word of God and then the people shouted amen. They lifted up their hands and they worshiped the Lord. So people raise their hands because it's biblical. They raise their hands because that's what you do naturally when you're victorious. And another reason we raise our hands is to testify. Like you see people in court and they say what? Raise your hand. And, they, and they, they swear what I'm about to say is true. So when we sing songs about God's goodness, you can raise your hand and say, this is true. I have personally experienced God's goodness. When we sing, you know, hey, God can take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. There's someone at church who is in the middle of the storm and they need to be encouraged by you. Like, hey, yeah, I have seen God take a bad situation and turn it for good. What you're doing, you're testifying and it builds up other believers' faith. And for all the unbelievers in our midst, you're witnessing to them that Jesus is alive and real. And they'll look at you and they'll say, those people have something that I don't have, but whatever it is, I want it. And so I wanted to make you aware of this because maybe you've never thought about this, but if you come to church, even if you're a Christian and you love God in your heart, I'm not judging you, right? But if you just stand there like you're depressed at a funeral, (laughs) as we declare God's victory... You are giving witness that is contrary to what we want to declare. Church is the only place where you see victorious people acting defeated. Don't be that person. This is where you learn to witness. If you don't even have the courage to lift up a hand in here, how are you going to go and declare the gospel out there? This is where it starts. Here's the next level of witnessing besides just telling people here's what Jesus did for me and if you'll let him he'll do it for you but you can also answer some of those difficult questions and remove barriers and so I think about it as this like you remove confusion add clarity and maybe even confront some of the lies that people believe and here's what we're going to do next week I'm going to get into some of the most common objections and difficult questions that people ask Like, well, why does God let bad things happen to good people? And how can a loving God send people to hell? And how do you know your religion is the only right one? How do you know the Bible is true and it's not all just made up? Or what about science? (laughs) We'll talk about all that. But we have a much bigger problem than difficult questions from lost people. We have a lack of sharing from saved people. So I want to talk about some people, because I asked on, on my Instagram, you know, why, why is it hard to share your faith? Like, what's the biggest obstacle for you to share your faith? And, and you all gave me, like, hundreds of responses. I was really surprised. So these are real people I'm describing in our church. Just the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Let me talk to you about some real people in our church. The first is non-confrontational Nancy. She grew up in a family where there was lots of arguing and fighting all the time. And now she's a person who says, like, I just don't want to argue with people over who's right and who's wrong. I don't want to get into debates. It just doesn't feel loving to argue. Christians shouldn't argue. And the truth is, yes, sometimes we should. It can be very godly to argue for Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, the apostle Paul wrote this, "We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God." 
Right? There are lots of like arguments and false ideas that are floating around in this world that become barriers for people getting to Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, we should be like Hulk smash arguments <laughs> so people can get to Jesus. It's okay to argue in that situation, right? Peacemakers are not just avoiding, pee, uh, avoiding conflict to keep the peace. Uh, we want to help people find peace with God. Through Jesus. And sometimes that requires confrontation. Like, like Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's confrontational. You know, you, you hear him say that and it's like, what do you mean, Jesus? Are you saying that all the Muslims and all the Hindus and all the Buddhists in the world, they're, they're all wrong and you're right? Yes. It's confrontational. And you got to remember, either Jesus is telling the truth or he is a liar. And if you believe him, that he is the only way, that requires maybe having some difficult conversations. But man, if you were driving the wrong way on the highway, wouldn't you want someone to tell you? Like, we don't need to argue about who's going the right way. <laughs> if you love people and you want them to be saved from sin... You have to have some difficult conversations and tell them, even though they think they're right, that they're actually wrong. And this is one of the ways we speak the truth in love. Here's Nancy's cousin, uh, Polite Peter. His mom told him that Christians should be nice. And so his motto in life is like, I just don't want to offend people. Peter has the mug that says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words as ne if necessary. And everybody likes Peter because, you know, he really never says anything that could rub anyone the wrong way. Like, I just don't want to offend people. We live in a world today that thinks offending someone is the greatest sin you can commit. But, hey, listen, take it from someone who offends people for a living. It's not that bad. And it's, it's actually worth it. You just have to accept the fact that Jesus is offensive. And that's okay. In 1 Peter 2, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Like, Jesus offended people. He told a bunch of hard-hearted religious guys that they were actually dirty snakes. That's offensive. And, and can I propose to you that a stone of stumbling is not a bad thing if it saves you from walking headfirst into hell? There are a lot of people just peacefully walking through life on their way to hell. And the best thing that could happen to them is to stumble over Jesus Christ and come face to face with reality. As Christians, you know, we recognize Jesus. He's a rock, he's a rock of offense. You either, you either build your life on that rock or you get crushed by that rock. If you're soft-hearted and broken-hearted, man, he will comfort you and strengthen you. If you're hard-hearted, that rock will crush you. And as Christians, we have to love people enough to be willing to risk offending them. Here's the next person I want to talk to, uh, Comfy Kathy. Where you at, girl? Hey! Hey, girl! Uh, Kathy loves God, but she just hates awkward situations. And, you know, she's kind of insecure. She's always wondering, like, well, do people like me? What do they think about me? And so she hears about sharing Jesus, and she thinks, like, wow, that might be awkward. I don't think I want to do that. But let me help you. When it comes to sharing Jesus, it's not that it might be awkward. It will definitely be awkward. 
It is awkward to tell people that they're wrong. It can be awkward to tell someone who thinks she's a good person because she volunteers in an animal rescue shelter that she's actually a sinner who's going to hell. Awkward! (laughs) But you know what else is really awkward? Showing up on judgment day and finding out your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And you're like, I know, like, I don't want to be in awkward situations, you know, but when I think about what else is awkward, Jesus being nailed to a cross in his underwear for my sin. If he could do that for me, I think the least I could do is endure some awkward conversations for him. And then there's guilty Gary. Gary, man, I love you, bro. Like, Gary comes to church and he just feels uh, so grateful for God's love He cries throughout worship because of what God has done for him, but he just does not feel qualified to represent Jesus. He knows, man, I've made so many mistakes, and I I still sin. We all do. And he just thinks, like, man, if I tell people about Jesus, they'll call me a hypocrite, and I'll embarrass my church, and I'll let God down. Like, I I know God loves me, but I just don't feel worthy of his love. Anybody relate to this? And I just need you to understand, making mistakes does not disqualify you from bringing good news. In fact, the bigger of a sinner you are, the better the news gets. Like, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Even you, guilty Gary. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Like, nobody is shocked. This is not a spoiler. We're all sinners who have been saved by grace. And it's not a perfect life that makes you beautiful. It's the message that you bring which makes you beautiful. Romans 10 didn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who have clean feet. It said those who bring good news. We have a soul-saving message, and God wants you to share it. And then lastly, there's confused Cam. Cam, man, he does love God. Uh, He loves coming to church, and he wants to share Jesus, but he just feels unequipped. He's like, I just don't know what to say. People are out there asking all these difficult questions. Like, Like, my friend asked me at work last week, well, can God create a burrito so big that he can't eat it? Gotcha. What do I even say? I don't know what to say. Listen, you'll never know the answer to every question. And that is not an excuse to spend the rest of your life with no answers to any questions. It does say this in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect, even on Facebook, with gentleness and respect. Look, so next week I am gonna talk about defeating arguments and giving answers to difficult questions, but let me start with this. You do have the words to say. You do have words to say, right? You know the gospel, just the basics of the good news. That's the most important thing for you to communicate. And you can share your testimony. Remember, you're a subject matter expert on you. So you can share what God has done for you. And and then I would propose that the Holy Spirit has already given you his word. And that is often more than enough. 
when it comes to sharing Jesus. So the word of God was breathed by the Holy Spirit. And, and don't you think that maybe God's word would be more effective at reaching people and changing them than even what I might say? Than my clever arguments? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit. So God's word can pierce the hardest heart in a way that my clever arguments never could. Nobody has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit, though, transforms people. So give him a chance to work. For example... I gave you a handout today that has some of the highlights of this message on it. I want you to take it home. But on the back, there are some key verse references, mostly from Romans. And you know, it would not be that hard to write these down in the margin of your Bible uh, as a little bit of a cheat sheet or put them in a note on your phone that you could pull up quickly. And, and you could just sit there with someone and say, hey, listen, I don't know uh, the answers to all your questions, but I, I can share what Jesus has done for me. And um, I do have some scripture verses. Is it okay if we read these together? And you just open up your Bible and you just go, Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's go to John 8.34. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 5.1 is great. It says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And then, hey, bro, let's turn to Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Hey, let's go to the end of this chapter. It says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And then you can just close your Bible and you can just look at him and just say, do you want to accept Jesus? And just let the Holy Spirit speak to them. And if they say yes, you know, you can kind of do what I do at church. You can just lead them in a prayer. And not only today did I want to equip you to share faith, but I also think there's a really good chance that at one of our campuses today or watching online, there could be someone today here who, who needs to take that step of faith and accept Jesus. And you just had it laid out for you so clearly who he is and what he wants to do for you and what he offers you. And you didn't come here today by accident. Maybe today is your day to cross that line of faith and receive salvation. So let's just do this. Let's bow our heads Let's close our eyes, and if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer, and it's not a magic prayer, but just I want to help you express what's in your heart right now. So you can just repeat after me and just pray this prayer and say, God, I ask you to save me. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose again. I receive your forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. I thank you, God, for adopting me into your family and calling me your child. 
And I ask you to lead me from this day forward. I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.